Welcome back to another episode of the China Path podcast. James Scullin here from the Australia China Business Council. On this episode of the podcast, I speak to one of the most famous Australians living in China. Most Australians have probably never heard of. An Australian living in China for over 22 years, Heidi Dugan hosts the long-running popular TV program You Are the Chef on the Oriental Shopping Channel with over six million viewers daily. While not so well known to Australians, Heidi is a household name in China, where she's often recognised in the street by the millions of Chinese people who have grown up watching her cooking show. Heidi is also a consultant to multinational Fortune 500 companies and a management consultant and corporate trainer in negotiation, goal setting, communication, and platform skills. Through these roles, Heidi has assisted senior management of both Western and Chinese global organisations to better understand the local environment, foreign work culture in China, and their strategic placement in the market. In our chat, we discuss Heidi's China journey from studying in Wuhan to thriving off the Shanghai speed of life in her new home. We look at how she became the only Western TV presenter in China with a license to broadcast live on Chinese TV, as well as the role she plays as an ambassador to foreign brands, and how Australian products can do more to have an edge in the China market. Heidi also offers her tips for learning Chinese and where to eat off the beaten path in Shanghai. Heidi was invited by the Australian government to be one of 45 people to share their story at the 45th year celebration of China-Australia diplomatic relations. An honorary event that showcased the successful relationship between the two countries for the past 45 years. I hope you enjoy our discussion. I'm here in Shanghai with China TV personality Heidi Dugan. Heidi, thanks a lot for coming on the podcast. No problem. I'm so happy to be here. This is the first time on your podcast. Yes, it is.、Um, now, Heidi, when did you first、um, become interested in China? When did your China journey begin?、Um, that's a really interesting question because、um, when I first became interested in China, it was not. The idea of actually coming to China—it was more about the tradition of China,、mm. and that is kung fu. Right. So my father, when I was very young, well, I think I was about eight years old.、Um, you know, it was those days where、uh, kung fu sort of just come to Australia, and people were taking classes. And my father was very passionate about it, and incredibly passionate that his kids. Were you know were part of this, and so、um, uh, I have two old,、uh, an older brother and a younger brother and sister, and I am the only one that really、mm. pushed forward and did kung fu with my father. So I I was brought up with it, and our teacher was from、um, Hong Kong at the time. So what it meant was that my father became friends with him, our family became friends with him. So we started. Going to Chinese restaurants, right?、Um, and then we'd eat Chinese food, obviously, and we'd be using Chinese chopsticks and things like that. So we were fascinated by、uh, this side of China, and of course, the、uh, videos—you know, the VHC, you know, those video cassettes, VHS, were, yeah, VHS. So they were out, and、um, my dad and I would go every weekend. To the video store, and we would go and look for kung fu movies. Right. So we took it home and just, you know, my mum would go, "What did you get?" And we go, "Kung fu movie." Another kung fu movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we were we were super passionate, and it was through these kung fu movies that we got a glimpse of, you know, what what China was at the time.、Mm. So, but it wasn't until a lot later where I had this opportunity of thinking, "Wow, actually, maybe I could go to China、right. myself,、mm. um, that I could go and I could study there." And it was through my My father,、uh, 
um, that he introduced a course that was in Wuhan and it was uh, with the Royal Melbourne Institute of Technology. They were doing an international trade course there and I thought, oh my God, what an amazing, amazing opportunity. This is 23 years ago. Right. To to go to China. And that's not Shanghai, China. That's central. No, that was that's central, central, China. <laughs> central China, Wuhan. You know, my background is acting. Mm. So um, the, the key thing that made me make that decision of, you know, why would I go and do international trade? I had no interest in it. Was that my acting teacher said to me, if you want to be a great actor, mm. you need to get out and live life. Mm. And I thought, oh, my goodness. China is the perfect place to just experience something different. Mm. So I thought I could learn about the culture, I could learn more about myself. So within literally weeks, um, I agreed and obviously my family supported me and uh, I've, I, I found myself, you know, in the centre of China. And so were there other foreigners studying with you in Wuhan at that time? Yeah, there were 20 other, uh, well, 19 other uh, foreigners, uh, Australians, and, um, and 40 Chinese people that were doing the course with us. Right, okay. Absolute brilliance because, you know, you get sort of all these Australians not only doing the course, but then we've got these Chinese people doing the course in English with us. So we had this incredible connection with Chinese people from day one right. where we're learning about trade and about Chinese culture and Chinese business and international business and they're learning at the same time. So we were uh, learning through their struggles, they're learning through our struggles and mm. our communication. Oh, great. Yeah, well, it just makes it so much more practical actually learning with people who apply that that business theory to their experiences in China. Absolutely. It was it was absolutely phenomenal and they were from all over China mm. and so it meant that, you know, we could also get a glimpse of the, the, the different personalities, the different styles. There was one woman that was incredibly... Um, immaculately dressed mm. and she was so well spoken she'd wear this long leather green jacket I remember her so well and um, and we used to call her Miss Shanghai because she was just at the time just she was the epitome of you know a Shanghai woman right so um, so it was a really nice glimpse of you know the the people from all over China and we got an understanding of the the, the different you know cultures because China's so big yeah. And, 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 and so that was the first time that you started learning Chinese as well? It was. Okay. Got to be honest, whilst I was there, I probably had a little bit too much fun and didn't learn as much Chinese as I was probably meant to. Right. Um, my language really, I think, sort of... That was a great sort of um, taster for my Chinese, but it was really when I came to move to Shanghai, got a job... And I was much more committed to uh, learning Chinese. And so I got a, a personal tutor, come to my office every morning, six o'clock, and I'd just uh, get them to tutor me in everything that I would need to use that day, right. all the Chinese. Now, there's a lot of expats over here, probably myself included, who have studied Chinese for a long time, yeah. but don't really have the proficiency that they would like to have. Yeah. What's your tips for breaking through to that to that level of fluency where you have where you use it? professionally so much now yeah uh, I look there I think there are a number of ways and people learn in different ways you know undeniably the people that speak really good Chinese are those that studied in the Beijing University mm. um, of, you know the Institute of Language and also the um, Jiao Tong University here they're with Chinese people they're around um, Chinese people every day so they're learning so I uh, you know, I can tell when someone has come from Beijing and they've learnt 
you know, one to three years, um, their language there because their tones are amazing. Mm. Um, that's not how I learned. <laughs> <laughs> it was very much um, guided by what I needed to use um, if I knew I had meetings or if I was uh, going out to dinner with Chinese people or I wanted to say things, I would give these topics to right. my tutor. Okay. And I would say, this is what I want to learn about. And it was through that then I knew that I would use those words immediately after. You could apply it the next day. I could day. apply it. Right. I could apply it immediately. And, um, you know, I, I remember when I was working at Three on the Bond and um, I was having to, to deal with a lot of um, artists and, uh, and that was a whole vocab that I, you know, I had no idea about. So I would get my tutor to come and tell me all about, you know, how do you say pottery? How do you say teapot? How do you oh, say right, clay? Yeah. You know? <laughs> and so I knew that then I could go and, and use it. And then when I used it, I, I would realise what are the gaps in my language. Then I'd come back and the next lesson I'd say, this is good, but how do you say this in a sentence? Mm. How do you say this correctly? Okay. So, um, so that, that for me has been a great, uh, a, a great way to learn and I'm definitely one of those people that learn better when I do. Yeah. Um, and I would say I'm also not afraid to make a fool of myself. That's very important <laughs> when learning a language. It's really important. You know, I really don't mind saying the wrong thing. Um, I don't mind looking stupid, you yep. know, uh, at times. Uh, and Chinese people are so amazing. Yeah. You know, when we came here, we'd sit in a, a taxi and we'd say, you know, in Chinese, uh, where you wanted to go, and the driver would go, wow, your Chinese is amazing. And you go, yeah. thank you. Yeah. <laughs> so they're so supportive. I do find that the level's increased over here, though. I find when you get in a cab and you, you know, have maybe have a chat to a taxi driver, especially over here in the East Coast, they do seem less impressed than they did <laughs> years ago because <laughs> they, there are people like yourself who, yeah. who have shown that their proficiency is at a, at, a, at a pretty decent level. Yeah, you know, absolutely. Just the other day I got into a taxi and I was, uh, I was telling him where to go and my son was with me. And um, and he didn't understand what I was saying. I obviously wasn't pronouncing the uh, the the street correctly. And then I got my son to do it. And the taxi driver turned around. and He goes, "You know that your son's Chinese is far better than <laughs> yours." So um, so absolutely. But you know, uh, uh, as as a group of people, you know, China's a great place to learn a language. I'd hate to learn. You know, I hate to be in France learning French. Mm. You know, the comparison would be, you know, quite frightening. China, they're just like, you say hello in Chinese and they're going to well, love it's, you. It's very, it's very rewarding. I've, I've yeah. studied German for a number of years and just having conversations in German is just a constant battle to, to push the conversation off English, which, which doesn't do that much good for your confidence. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Heidi, you then moved to Shanghai after studying Wuhan. Um, and what, what, what was your first job over here? It was really interesting. It was um, it was actually in property. I worked for First Pacific Davies, and they were really, you know, were and you know now are still one of the the big uh, development companies mm. and uh, real estate companies. Um, my family is in real estate and have always been how we've been successful in making sort of money in Australia, mm. and. Uh, uh, but it was never my intention to be in real estate. And uh, when I got this offer, the main reason for me to take it was because I thought, what a brilliant opportunity to get to know, you know, 
the lay of the land of Shanghai. So you were an agent in, 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 in Shanghai? I was, I was an agent. Right. Um, I was an agent and I uh, got to meet a lot of people in different companies, but it meant that, you know, I knew where everything was in Shanghai and it also meant that I knew all the foreigners coming into Shanghai because I was placing them Mm. in their homes. And then, you know, we obviously, uh, you know, provide an amazing service where we supported them, you know, if they needed to go shopping to buy furniture, I'd take them to go shopping. Um, and so there was there were so many things that it meant that um, very quickly I learned Shanghai. I knew where everything was. You know, you could t- name any street and I could take you there. I knew where to buy your your uh, sofa. I knew where to buy the fridge and things like that. So it was perfect. And so was it having that network that led to the opportunity of, of becoming a TV host over here? No, I, I would say what it was was that at the time Shanghai was really a small uh, as far as foreigners were concerned, it was a very small community, mm. um, and we there are a number of bars, Australia drinks, you know, Friday night with Ozcham still has now, which mm. is amazing, um, and that we would go to that, and it was through that that I met um, a, 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 one of the writers for the Financial Times, and he was working with a gentleman who was at the TV station and they needed someone to help groom their news reporters. Um, My background was also in Australia. I was uh, teaching modelling and uh, performance skills to people back there. So um, he he introduced me and it was through that that I uh, started to groom their news reporters to help rewrite their script for the news uh, and that's how I started working with the TV station. Right, okay. Um, and when was the No one's ever asked me that question before, so I think, like, this is the first time anyone will have ever heard ah. that I've actually done that here in China. That was really one of the first... my first step into TV here in China. Ah, right, interesting. Mm. Okay. Um, and, and, and so how did You Are The Chef begin? So, so while I was working with the station, at the t- time it was called Shanghai Oriental mm. Satellite Station, and um, they had a, another show and... That show was hosted by uh, a, a very famous host called Gergong. Mm. And they wanted to make it sort of more international. So they asked if I would be a guest host. Okay. Now, in China, you can't... Uh, foreigners cannot be a host. So as a guest host, I sort of... He led the show and, you know, would talk to me about, you know, my experiences, what I thought about, you know, wherever it was that we were going. So um, it was through that that they then got the licence to be able to have foreigners to have as a host because they wanted to market to the international community, which was growing. Right, okay. So I happened to be at the right place at the right time. They knew that I had acting skills, that that my background is actually acting, so that's what I studied. Yeah. So they wanted to use me as a host, so that was when we created You Are The Chef. Mm. They got me to be the host. It was the first show that was produced on um, Chinese national TV that uh, they had a foreign host, that they had the ability to um, have that. So, um, uh, so and, and it went from there and it, it grew as a show and that department became 
the Dragon TV, which became uh, sort of a much bigger uh, channel, and then Dragon TV then became the department, the international department became the international channel Shanghai. Oh, based on the show itself? Based on, based on the show and then the ex other shows that they started creating through right. it. So, um, so it was really, it, we, you know, I, I moved from Shanghai Satellite to Dragon TV through to ICS, the International Channel Shanghai. And um, and then the show was uh, incredibly successful at the time that then they sold it to ABC in China, mm. uh, in Australia, mm. sorry. Mm. So we were aired in China and then we were also on um, uh, the CCTV9 in Beijing. So we, we got picked up by a lot of the other channels and so it went, it went, a lot further. Interesting enough, I had a friend, an Australian friend who was in Europe and was uh, sitting at a hotel watching um, TV and she heard in her bedroom um, my voice, which right. was incredibly <laughs> strange for her, um, one of my dear friends, and she's like, what is going on? That sounds like Heidi. She went into the bedroom and it was on TV, you know, and she's in, I think she was in Italy at the right. time. So, it, you know, it, it was amazing that they then sold it to everywhere else. So you've been doing the show for 19 years now. Yep. For those unaware, what's the premise of the show? Yeah, so it's called You Are The Chef and it's really about us going to all of the amazing hotels all throughout China mm. and picking up the, the best of the best chefs there. We really focused on the hotel chefs because especially at the time, um, they were the, the top, sh top chefs in town mm. and um, uh, whether that was a foreign chef or it was a Chinese chef. And it was about getting the tips and tricks that they had learned, that they knew and, you know, sharing them with us so that we could cook better in our homes, we right. could cook quicker or we could cook more of fantastic meals. Do you find some of the best chefs are actually outside urban areas and in really obscure rural locations across China? Yeah, um, uh, uh, yes, more and more so now um, because, you know, originally a lot of these good chefs sort of came into the big cities and then uh, the the smaller cities were didn't have some of these amazing hotels and of course hotels have just boomed mm. in China and so these chefs have had such an amazing amount of experience and so they've been transferred to other um, areas areas that um, might be second tier but have a massive population and have incredible right. wealth and they do spend it in the hotels. Mm, okay. Um, so foreigners have always been able to find themselves interesting jobs over here in China that they probably otherwise wouldn't in Australia. Um, do you think that's still the case in, in China at the moment, that a foreigner can has that um, exotic appeal when, when looking for work over here? Um... You, it definitely, it's not the same as it was uh, back in the day where you could just be a foreigner yeah. and you could get pretty much any job that you wanted. I mean, you know, I, I'm going to be you know, honest with you, I, I definitely wasn't one of the top models in Australia. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I happened to get a lot of modelling work and, you know, here in, uh, in uh, China purely because I had a Western face um, so, you know, and they, they, they lead to opportunities. So definitely back then it was, you know, who you knew and you had that sort of Western appeal. Now you have to be good, mm. really good mm. at what you do because there are Chinese people that have had international experience that are 
amazing right. at their job and they know this market so very well. So, um, but there are opportunities. The the key to the um, the expansion of uh, you know an individual's career in China is not so much about you know having a Western face. It's about the pace of the city. Mm, okay. The pace is so quick that you can have an idea and it suddenly comes to fruition. Or if you have an idea and you're speaking to another foreigner or another Chinese person and they're excited by it, they might just employ you right. to implement that idea or because they think you're someone that is exciting that can sort of push things forward. So, um, so, so the pace of China continues. Mm. It's exciting. Um, you have to have crazy ideas here. You have to be different here. Mm. So you're really pushed to your, you know, to your full capacity, and that then spurs you on. So it's that momentum and that excitement. If you're passionate about something, mm. um, and you believe in something, someone is going to want to jump on your bandwagon and, you know, go with you, or they want you to you know, to take them or their company where you want to go. Well, I think I think that's a perfect segue to start talking about Chef Mama. Um, Chef Mama. Mm-hmm. Would you be able to tell us what that's about? It's so exciting, you know, and uh, you, people hear me talking about Chef Mama and they go, how did you set it up? I didn't. Um, I have one of the most amazing partners. She uh, is a Chinese woman, incredibly marketing savvy. Mm. She had this uh, amazing media business and um, had a had a son, and just sold it off and and just wanted to start blogging. And it was back in the day when you know KOLs were just starting. She was writing about being a mother, and and she just got this incredible following of women that were interested in hearing about other women and and how they were coping with with life and how they were cooking for the kids and healthy nutrition nutritional food for their for their family, and. Um, she saw me one day and she obviously knew me from TV and sort of just started talking to me. And I was so excited. This is a really good example, whether you're Chinese or foreigner, where you have an idea and you push forward. And mm. she's such a brave person. She came up to me, you know, and just said, I love you, love what you've done. You're a mother, you know, you must work with me. Mm, okay. <laughs> and I was like, it you was know, when directive. someone tells you that they must do something, you go, oh, I'm all right then. Um, what a, what a, <laughs> let me know what you're doing. And, um, and she is, uh, she was one of the first uh, women that I um, really sort of associated with that was a real yes person. I'm definitely a yes person. She's like, oh, I've got a good idea. Do you think we should do this? Yes. Mm, mm. You know, oh, why don't we do this? Yes. Mm. And, um, and so her and I would sit together and we'd both be going, yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Um, and, of course, when you say yes, it leads to something. And right. so uh, Chef Mama became um, just a, a hub where women could share their ideas and we, we started on the WeChat and we built groups and we put nutritionists and uh, we asked our mothers to, to post their breakfast and what they were creating. So it really became an amazing community. Mm. We then um, pitched for the Australia... Uh, the, the Shanghai Women's Association had an incredible 
a program where you could pitch your idea and and, and they would choose out of 300 they chose 40 mm. and of uh, of those 40 we were one of them okay um, and we decided we were going to do a mother's market so at the uh, Crystal Galleria we had three markets throughout the year each three days we took all of the whole um, floor of the shopping centre and we transformed it to a market for products that were all to do with mothers and we had right. modelling shows and we had cooking shows we had you know kids kids art classes we we did so many different things with it and it was to support the community and um, so we ended up being the number one project that the um, women's association was associated with that year and um, and it was through that all the other government bodies sort of started going who is chef mama we need to work with them right okay. uh, we got the opportunity to work with the Qingpu um, the, the Qingpu is a, one of the biggest districts in Shanghai and within that is the Taupu district the mayor from there um, was really building he's and is still building that area and they've built a community center that they um, have now we, we've got an agreement where we run that building and we mm. have classes every day you know and still forwarding you know if you've just given birth to a baby how do you care for your baby how do you wash your baby how do you feed your baby and and it's through this that we actually um introduce new brands right brands that we believe in brands that we think are interesting and brands that are interested in really connecting with this family you know the families of china and understanding more about them and that um, we have one one company at the moment that will do focus groups with these with these uh, you know community members to say you know what, what flavour do they really want of okay. this product? And so it means that brands can um, can understand the community a lot more and that the community has a voice mm. to tell the brands what they should or shouldn't have. So we were talking about before how um, China's relationship to foreigners has changed over the last few decades. Um, with regard to learning from foreigners, China has developed its own means of creating infrastructure and its own means for creating technology for something like parenting and nutrition mm. how much is there still a willingness from from China to learn from the West with a with a topic that's so focused on women you know it's really interesting because I think there's been a real transition whether it's with um, you know uh, housing sort of uh, family sort of mothering um, with brands with all of it it used to be where um, any foreign brand was amazing. Nowadays, and it was really about let's do it the way that the foreigners do it, those days are definitely gone. And um, what I would say is that the Chinese are a very proud culture. And one of the things that I love about them is that they see something else. They see something um, abroad or international and they take it and then they make it their own. Right. And they, you know, so whether if it's a if it's a, a cup of tea or if it's, um, uh, you know, a cream, just because it's an international product does not give it the right to enter into the home of a Chinese person. Right. It really needs to be a, a product of substance, mm. a product that can help them solve their problem in the way that they want to solve it. Mm. Interesting, you know, like, for instance, jam... 
you know, we eat we eat jam on on toast, but a lot of Chinese people what they do is they put jam in hot water and they drink it right. as a drink, you know, as a beverage, and um, or that they might put it on top of a cake or a biscuit. So yeah. they eat it in very different ways. They use it in different ways. So it's essential for brands moving into this market to understand the quality of what they've got but then listen to the Chinese market and say how do we want to take this into our homes how do we want to use it um, you know like even things like beauty masks we in the west use them once a month mm. with the Chinese you know especially with all these uh, KOLs and celebrities on TV and that they use it every day. Yeah. And so, um, you know, they want to hear that this product can be used not once a day, uh, once a month, but that can be used every day. Mm. So you need to listen to what the Chinese are doing and what they want to do with your product and not be so stuck in your ways to, to say this is how it should be used. What would you say is one of the big challenges for Australian exporters getting to the China market? Do you think Australian exporters tend to rest on their laurels that it's an Australian brand and that they expect that to sell the product? Or what, what do you see as some of the challenges for Australian firms trying to get into the market over here, particularly with food and mother and baby type products? Yeah, on, honestly, I would say um, the government has done a great job and continues to do a great job to promote Australia and Australian products as um, trustworthy, transparent, um, from uh, clean blue skies, you know, beautiful clear water, beautiful atmosphere, fresh air. Mm. Um, the government does a, a great job to, to sort of push that. So it is expected from an Australian brand to be of those qualities. Right. And so they, as an Australian brand, they're, uh, you should have, you know, you, you should support those qualities. Mm. Um, but that is not enough. You need to really understand the market. And I would say the biggest barrier to entry into the China market is, is speed. If Australians want to do business in China, they need to have experts mm. around them, consultants around them that are in this market that can help guide them, make those decisions and make them very quick. Mm. If you have good people around you go, we need to do this, then they need to listen and they need to move very, very quickly. Right. The other thing is that business is still business as usual. Um, the amount of times that I've heard companies say, I've got a distributor, I'm in the Chinese market. I say, oh, that's great. Who's looking after your marketing and branding? The distributor is. They're like, what? Mm. Like, is that how you did it in Australia? Mm. Would, you, would you give uh, uh, your distributor all your branding and marketing? What do they know in about Australia? the product? In Australia, you know, they, uh, of course, you know, uh, you wouldn't do it in Australia, so don't do it in China. Right. You know, um, so many companies, when they start up in, in Australia, they mortgage their home, they put, you know, their blood, sweat and tears into building the business. Mm. You're coming into the China market, whether you're a large company or a small company in Australia, you're starting from scratch. Right. And you need to put blood, sweat, tears and cash into it to succeed. A lot of foreign brands tend to use, um, and Chinese brands, tend to use KOLs um, over here in China to help market and promote their product. Um, 
you're a TV personality. Would mm. you also describe yourself as a KOL? Originally, I was not a KOL. Um, I was someone that the Chinese people have grown up watching. They trust me. Mm. They know that I'm married to a Chinese man, that I've got kids that go to Chinese school. Do you get recognised a lot? On the street over here? Yeah, sure. Mm. Um, and, and, you know, I'm, I'm really fortunate that um, the Chinese are just so respectful and so lovely. Right. You know, they'll come up and, oh, I see you on TV, you know, it's just lovely. So I, I've, I've been fortunate, touch wood, to, to make sure that, uh, like, I've always had really great support from the Chinese community and from the media here. It's always been incredibly positive and I work with the government here. Mm. Um, so, uh, but... Uh, when, when I've worked with brands in the past, it's really about the brands having their marketing media strategy and they want me to jump on board and they want to use me and my image to create um, uh, the idea of transparency, trust, mm. understanding within their brand. Um, when people see me using their brand on their media, they go, well, I know Heidi. My mum knows Heidi. We've watched her for 18 years. She's yeah. got a Chinese kid. You know, she does <laughs> Kung Fu. You know, we trust her. We know that she's going to work with someone that is reputable. So, right. so it's because of that. So they've got that push. And that's really when you use celebrities or um, TV personalities or public figures mm. To, to um, reinforce your message on your platforms, your marketing platforms. You know, over the last 10 years, the KOL, and which we would, uh, you know, key opinion leaders, or what we would also say is bloggers, are people that started to have a voice. They doesn't mean they're an expert, though. Mm. It's They share their opinions. And so they've built um, this amazing community of friends that they then have started selling to. Now, um, I definitely was not that um, in the past, and but it is obviously a movement that was big here and that there were a lot of fans. I have six million viewers, you know, tuning into my show daily. Mm. So they wanted to connect with me. And so, yes, then I started setting up my own blog, um, which is on WeChat and on Weibo, where, where my fans could follow me and learn not just about the cooking and the chefs, but about me and my personal experiences, mm. about, you know, you know, the things that I love doing. And one of them is health and fitness and natural beauty. And mm. that's why um, now I have also a personal following. So when I work now with brands, not only do they want me to push it out on their platforms and, and to show represent them, but they also want me to talk about their products on my platform. Mm. So, But it's a very interesting question because people don't understand the difference. Yeah. Um, and and so say so for instance, some some platforms, some KOLs will actually use me on their platform right. to bring more people to their to their um, WeChat and Weibo or to the products that they're selling. So um, so it, you know everything is it's like a jigsaw puzzle here in China, and it's about fitting the pieces together. And I think Australian companies need to understand the jigsaw puzzle for every company is yeah. different. Yeah. Um, it's not the same. Now, you recently started a new initiative where you've become the first foreign TV host to be able to be broadcast live in China. Is that yeah. right? So, so um, now with the, the blogging and with Taobao and Tmall and JD, you know, it's really all about live broadcast. And um, online, 
that is something that is accessible to everyone. And mm. if you're an Australian company, you should have people that are doing it for you. And so I've done a lot of uh, stuff with Alibaba, um, with Timor, where I started doing live broadcast and helping them sell their products. Mm. Um, and it was through that then that the Oriental Shopping Channel, Dongfanggu, uh, sort of uh, I caught the, um, the CEO's eye and um, he thought, oh, my goodness, that would be amazing to have you on national TV where you're actually doing it and selling for us. So uh, it's not been done before. Mm. Um, and to get the licence to do it, obviously because it's live broadcast, the, um, they need to be very careful, sensitive information and what can you say, what can't you say. And so is that sensitive because you're a foreigner or because it's live? or Every person that is on Every person that is on national TV needs to go through sort of quite a gruelling sort of background check. And, oh, uh, really? Okay. Yeah, and as a foreigner, yeah. um, I suppose it's probably a little bit more extensive. Um, I, I w- it, it normally takes three months to get the... Um, to go through it. It took me two weeks. Okay. And that, I would say, is because... I have done so much with the government here. The heads of the TV station, you know, we were working together 18, 19, 20 years ago. So they all knew me and they know that, you know, I am proudly Australian living in one of the most amazing cities and I support and am really... Half my life is in China, so I support it so strongly. Yeah, the regulators most likely grew up watching You Are The Chef in any case. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was just... It was such a... You know, it was one of those things where I suppose it was a bit of a milestone for me. Really, in my career, I look back and this is one of the big milestones for me because I think not only was I able to get the licence, but going through the process, I think... These people that just came out and wrote letters, you know, that are in the government and that um, they're in, you know, positions of uh, power Mm. that were just so incredibly supportive of me. And I think, you know, that is a group of people that I'm so proud to... To, to to be someone that they're proud to push forward. Yeah. So I I think more than anything, it was that and the support that they gave me that I was just absolutely ecstatic about. And, you know, rightly so. We did a live broadcast on, um, you know, for Oriental Shopping and we did it for Zwilling. And um, within an hour and a half, we sold over $2 million Australian dollars Whoa. worth in product. Okay. So, you know, I, I am good at what I do. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and, uh, and I do know how to create content yeah. that is right for this market. Right. So okay. it paid off for them. Great. Um, <laughs> So, Heidi, there's, um, you're so immersed in the culinary scene over here in Shanghai. Um, if um, someone from Australia is coming to visit Shanghai, do you have a, a, a recommendation of somewhere they should go? Maybe a recommendation on the high end and mm-hmm. maybe a recommendation that's a little more roadside, Shaochudian. Yeah. Well, you know, um, you know, when in China, <laughs> when in Rome, do you like the Romans, you know? Um, so, when in China, you know, definitely eat out like the Chinese. Um, so... China is all about the street food and it's about the small shops. Yeah. Um, and, uh, you know, they are very much a niche market where if you're going to have dumplings, you should go to 
the place that just does dumplings. Right. I'll mm-hmm. tell people right now there's one right on the corner of my street on uh, Jenggo Shin Road and uh, Jiaozhou Road. Mm. And it makes the most amazing dumplings. Okay. And they make them in front of you and they cook them up for you. Uh, so, so this, uh, the, you know, a lot of people don't realise that Shanghai is based on a grid and it's based at the centre of it is the old town. So the old city is where, you know, you get a lot of these little niche markets sort of uh, little restaurants which sell the the pancakes or the dumplings or the noodles. It's fantastic. So originally um, at the uh, north, south, east, west entrances of the old town Mm. is where people used to be the merchants where they'd come into the city. So that's where at the entrance where you get... The, the the great little uh, restaurants so we call that that like laoshimen right. so it's at the the west gate oh, okay. okay or the east gate and Lao that's Shimen. where you've got laoshimen okay. you know so so you're getting all these little street food uh, uh, restaurants and in the morning early in the morning and late late at night around 12 one o'clock you're getting the you know the kebabs out you know the uh, the, what do you call it? The um, Yang Rou Chuan. The Yang Rou Chuan. I would say for foreigners that really want to try authentic food yep. in any city that they go to, find where the old city is mm. and the different gates of those cities will be where you get the traditional food. Oh, great so that's that's something that is, um, is good for them to be able to use anywhere. Mm. Um, you know, as far as great Western food is concerned... Shanghai is one of the best cities to get, you know, just the most amazing culinary delights. If there are Australians wanting to eat, you know, just take a break from Chinese food. I, you know, I go back to my favourite um, chefs, you know, Craig Willis um, from Mr Willis. There's also Boar has got some amazing food. Mm. Uh, M on the Bund, beautiful view. Um, Char Bar, Indigo, they've got the best steak that I love. There are so many great restaurants. I've probably missed out half a dozen, but um, they're they're the ones that I tend to go back to. Yeah, excellent. Okay, well, it's been so interesting talking to you, Heidi. You've got such a great and fascinating journey here in China. Um, Are are you still practising Kung Fu? Um, You know, uh, (laughs) unfortunately not, but I still have a love of it. And I do still get asked to do Tai Chi um, on TV, uh, you know, I don't know why. I just am so humiliated when that happens because my husband and his friends are always so much better. Um, no, I've handed it over to my children. Okay, um, the next generation. And, uh, the next generation, but I do love it. You know, I'll probably get, I'll probably get back into it. Actually, we'll see. Yeah, fantastic. Okay, thanks so much, Heidi. Thank you. Heidi truly has a lot of great stories to share and I hope you enjoyed our discussion. To learn more about Heidi Dugan, please drop by to the podcast homepage at acbc.com.au forward slash podcasts where you can find links to our previous episodes. If you've been enjoying our series, please do leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and should you have a friend, colleague or client with an interest in China, please let them know about the podcast. This activity received funding from Austrade as part of the Free Trade Agreement Market Entry Grant Program. The views expressed herein are not necessarily the views of the Commonwealth of Australia and the Commonwealth does not accept responsibility for any information or advice contained herein. That's it for this episode. Until next time, Zai Jian.